Bibles this morning and turn with me into the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. While you're turning in your in your uh, Bibles, let me let me encourage you, particularly our, some of our men, to consider giving Walt Mikowski a call. Walt's got a new phone number, and I'm going to give it to you. If you don't catch it right now, you can come see me afterwards, and 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 I'll make sure you get it. But uh, let me encourage you to give him a call. Just encourage him a little bit. I know that I've got Rose's number, so if you ladies would like like to have that, you can get a hold of me, and I'd be happy. It, they both have brand-new phone numbers, so if you use their old phone numbers, they're not going to work. Um, but uh, Walt's number is 417-412-0334. And I'll put that in my pocket if you need that. And if you need the one for, for, uh, for Rose as well, please feel free to get a hold of me let me know, and I'll, I'll give it to you. I know... I know uh, it's uh, you know they have not been down there for very long. It's uh, kind of like being in a hospital in a strange land. It's not a strange land. It's their home now, and I understand all that. But uh, they know you folks a whole lot longer than they've known anybody that they know down there. So uh, if you could give them a call and just give them some encouragement. Uh, how many of you ever spent more than a day in the hospital? Let me see your hands. How many of you have really enjoyed your times in the hospital? Just thank God for the opportunity to be there. And yeah, not a hand. <laughs> Me either. So uh, you know what it's like. It can get boring. It can, can get lonely. So let me encourage you to give them a, give them a jingle, give them a call. All right. You, you should be in Proverbs 29 by now. Let's all stand here. We're just going to look at one verse. We're going to go right from there. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, and we're going to recite it together. So uh, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, let them look on with you if you would. Proverbs chapter, eight, uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, let's, let's, re, let's say it together. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Let's read it one more time. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Father, as we come to you the very last Sunday of, of the year, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look ahead to a brand new year. We look ahead to 12 more months that we can use to serve our Savior and our God. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through this verse and other verses that we look up this morning. May we realize that uh, we need to, to, to have a vision from you. And Lord, I'm not talking about visions and dreams kind of vision. But Lord, uh, we need to have a vision for souls. We need to have a vision for righteousness. We need to have a vision for holiness in our own lives. Uh, God, we, we pray that you would work in our hearts this morning. Uh, help us, God, to focus on the Word of God and on the God of the Word, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The verse says, where there is no vision, the people perish. What, 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 what were they talking about when they said there is no vision? 
Well, a vision back in the Old Testament was, was a revelation from God. It was the ability to see things as God sees them and understand they did not have a completed book like you and I have a completed book today. And so one of the ways that God spoke to them was through visions. And there's examples of this all the way through the Scripture. For Samuel chapter 3, uh, Samuel was a little boy. He was asleep. And he heard his name called, and he thought it was, he thought it was Eli. So he, he went in and, and, and uh, woke him up and said, what did you want? He says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He went back to bed. Well, finally he figured out that after getting called over and over again, uh, Eli says, look, this isn't, this isn't me. This is God. You need, to, you need to respond to him. And so, so he did. He had a vision, it's called a vision in the scripture, and God told him of judgment upon Eli's house. He gave him some information that he would not have had otherwise. In Daniel chapter 8, we have a vision that's, that's showed to Daniel of, of things to come. And uh, uh, God, God revealed some things to him. In uh, Genesis chapter 15, in fact, this is the first time that the word vision is used in Scripture, and God gave Abraham a vision. Uh, he, he said that his seed would be like the stars of the heaven and uh, showed him what, what he would go through and uh, what, what God would do with him and with his, with his seed. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6, the Lord uh, makes uh, himself known to the prophets through visions. Uh, Matthew chapter 17 is where you find Christ's uh, transfiguration, and it's called a vision. And it, it uh, displayed to the disciples the glory of God. It, sh it showed Jesus Christ in his glory. Acts chapter 10, verses uh, 3 and 17, Peter gets a vision. And uh, this vision uh, showed him that... Uh, that he needed to have a burden for the Gentiles, and he needed to take the, take the gospel to the, to the Gentile people. In uh, Acts 16 and verse 9, there's a, uh, Paul gets a vision. It's called the Macedonian, we call it today, the Macedonian call. And it showed him that there was a need over, over in another land, in another area. And, uh, and he responded to that need. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes the fact that he had a, a vision that God took him up into the, into the third heaven. And he saw some things that he wasn't even allowed to repeat. But that those things motivated him to continue on for God. And then in, in Acts 26 and verse 19, when, when Paul was explaining uh, his own personal testimony and given his, given his conversion experience... He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He got a, he got a glimpse of Jesus Christ uh, in, in his resurrected form. And the, uh, the, the purpose of the vision was, was to motivate him to action. That's really what, what a vision is for. Visions are so that we get motivated so that we do something about, about something that needs to be done. Uh, we don't need to have those kind of visions anymore. Uh, we don't need to operate by dreams. We do not need to operate by visions because now we've got a completed book. We've got the entire Bible. We've got all 66 books. 
And uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. It's interesting. When Peter wrote those words, he just got done describing the fact that he had seen uh, the Savior in his transfigured glory. And in response to that, he says, We have a more sure word. So we don't need the dreams, we don't need the visions anymore, because now we have, we have the, the written Word of God. However, however, we still need to have a vision today. And I'm not talking about those kind of visions, but I'm talking about a, a vision that will, will cause us to be motivated. A, a sense of, of knowing who God is. A sense of, of how He works and what He desires to accomplish in our lives. What and how He judges things. And what his plan is for my life. What is it that he wants me to do? We're getting ready to, to enter into a brand new year. God has something for each and every single person that's in here. He's got something for you. But you need to have a vision. Because without a vision, the people perish. There's three kinds of vision that, that a Christian absolutely has to have. First of all, we have to have the vision of hindsight. We need to, to, to understand the importance of Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection, not only to us personally, but also to the whole world. And know that he paid that supreme price so that other folks could get the gospel. We need to, we need to have hindsight, being able to see what God has done in our lives and to see his hand. You've heard me talk about this and until I'm blue in the face and I'm going to keep doing it because I think it's just so very, very important. You and I need to see God's hand daily in our lives. It's there. You know, I'm not saying you have to manufacture it. It's there. We just don't see it. We just don't recognize it. I was telling the, the uh, I believe it was the Sunday school class this morning, uh, we, need to, we need to reflect uh, a little bit on this last year and look backwards and see what God has done, what God has taught you. Where he has intervened in your life is so important for us to, 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 to have proper hindsight so that we can, we can see the hand of God in our lives. It, that, that's one of the reasons why, you know, when I, was a, when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, can I tell you what, what one, of my, one of my most dreaded classes was? It was history. History. I hated history. You know why? Because I didn't like timelines and dates. <laughs> And, and memorizing people's names. That's about all that it seemed to be to me. And then after I got saved, I started finding out that, whoa, wait a minute, God has had a part in history. And in fact, I've heard somebody uh, years ago, someone made a comment, history, what is it? It's his story. It's God's story. And uh, boy, when you start seeing that, and you start seeing the hand of God in history, you say, glory, hallelujah, man, my, my, my hindsight has been enlightened. Well, then, not only do we need hindsight, but we need, we need to, to be nearsighted, so to speak. And uh, that means we need to see the, the situations that are before us. Uh, Jesus said, see the fields, they're white unto harvest. And uh, we need to see the, the needs that people have for trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. I remember years ago going to a meeting 
it was when I was in my, I was going uh, in between my first and second year of, of college, in Bible college, and uh, there was a tent revival. And uh, this, this preacher uh, came and had a citywide revival, and, uh, and I'll never forget one of the things that he said. He says, you know, he says, as you folks uh, came to the revival tonight, he said, uh, you saw people walking down the street. Said you also saw people driving cars. Sometimes there were times when you actually got a glimpse of their faces. He said, did it ever one time occur to you, I wonder where that person is going to spend eternity? And I'll never forget that because my answer to that question was, no, no it didn't. See, we need to be nearsighted. We need to see the needs of people today, the spiritual needs that they have. And our primary goal needs to be to, to glorify God, to give out the gospel, to uh, help folks grow in Jesus Christ. That's not just the job of a preacher. That's not just the job of a Sunday school teacher. That's not just the job of a, of a children's worker. That's the job of all of us. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then there's not only hindsightedness, there's nearsightedness, but there's farsightedness. We need to look ahead. Uh, someday we're going to see the new Jerusalem. Someday we're going to see God face to face. Someday we're going to uh, be in heaven for all eternity. And uh, we're going we're to see our Father's house. We're going to someday... Those of you that are saved will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's not to determine whether or not God should let you in. That's to determine rewards that you'll receive since the day that you got saved and what you did with your life. For those that are not saved, you have to look forward to the great white throne judgment. And that's not anything to look forward to. And that's the day when you will stand before God. He'll declare you guilty and you'll go into the lake of fire for all eternity. Uh, that, that, you know, that is, that is awful and a terrible thought. The Bible talks about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth uh, when, it, when, it describes, when God describes hell. But, you know, what's, what's really so terrible about that whole thing, it's absolutely not necessary because the price has been paid. And uh, the price has been paid by Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure, you're not absolutely positive. If you died today, you go to heaven. Let me encourage you. That day is coming. You're either, going, you're either going to face the great white throne judgment where you'll be sentenced to hell for all eternity, you'll be sentenced to the lake of fire for all eternity, or you'll face the judgment seat of Christ because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he's judging you as a, as a son, uh, not as a sinner. But, uh, but those things are things that, that uh, sights that we need to have. We need to have hindsight, we need to have nearsight, we need to have farsight. But there's some things that, that steal our vision. There's some things that'll, that'll hinder us from, from having the the vision and having the desires and having the goals that God wants us to have in life. And we, I'm, we're going to look at this morning four things that 
God says will steal your vision. Uh, the first thing that, that I want us to look at is worldliness in a Christian's life. Worldliness can steal our vision. Worldliness is a way of thinking. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the, the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. It's a, it's a way of thinking that adopts the world's thinking and adopts the world's ways. One of the reasons why I'm excited about, about Brother Craig coming is that he's going to explain to us how to biblically handle our money. Now again, there's a lot of good ideas out there, and even some of the world's ideas are good ideas, but they're good ideas by default, and they've got attached to them the world's way of thinking. That's why I say it's, it's not enough just to have the right, the right uh, methods. Boy, you better have the right spirit about it. Because if you don't have the right spirit, then you won't, you, you won't uh, use the money that God has given you in the way that would honor and please Him. So uh, the world's got a way of, uh, of thinking. The world's got a way of doing things. And, and let me just say this to you, okay? Every one of us are susceptible to it. Uh, we are bombarded. Listen, since the advent of the computer and television and, 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 and the Internet and all that stuff, okay, you and I are absolutely bombarded more than we've ever been before in history by the world's thinking. And to think that it hasn't affected you, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. Sure, it's affected you. You need to be looking for it and realizing that, listen, I need to stay as far away from the world as I possibly can. My daughter and I were just having a discussion the other day. And uh, we were talking about something that, that, that I was doing, and she said, Dad, you don't want to do that because of this and this and this and this. And I said, well, it's not a big deal. And she says, yeah, it is a big deal. And then I remembered the message that I was preaching this morning. <laughs> and I said, ooh, she's right. It's a huge deal. And see, that's, I'm telling you that just to, to show you, we are all susceptible to that junk. I mean, the, the, the world is, is constantly calling out to us. Uh, the, church at, the church at Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2 uh, was, was warned of a doctrine. And the doctrine that it was warned about was the doctrine of Balaam. And the doctrine of Balaam in the Old Testament simply was this. Balaam was a prophet. And he was supposed to be a prophet of God. And... A uh, heathen king wanted him to curse Israel so they could have victory over him. And he tried to do it, and God said, no, no, I'm not going to let you do it. I'm not going to curse him. I'm, I'm going to bless him. So Balaam got to thinking, and, and, uh, and, and Balak, the king, kept offering him all kinds of money and all kinds of fame and fortune. And uh, so he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know what I can do. Uh, God won't have to curse them outright. All I've got to do is lead them to intermingle with the heathen. And the heathen will defile them, and then God will have to curse them anyway. So that's really what the, the doctrine of Balaam is. It's just simply uh, getting Christians to intermingle with the world. 
And uh, not, not just, you know, the, the world's philosophies, the, way, the world's way of doing things, the world's way of thinking. You know, I, I, uh, um, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 16 says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them. Now, this is God talking to a church. He's talking to saved people. And he's saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight against you. Over in, in uh, James chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, uh, it says, friendship of the world is enmity with God. Uh, why is that? Well, because the world's man-centered. And we're not supposed to be man-centered. We're supposed to be God-centered in all that we do. And, and, and you see this in, in every area around us. Be careful of your entertainment. Be cautious with your music. Be careful with your friendships. Uh, be careful with the way you do things in this world. Again, the world is constantly going to be knocking at our door and saying, be like us. And it's very easy to do that. Very easy to do that. God wants us to be peculiar people. God wants us to stand out and be separate. And when, when, you, when your mindset is like the mindset of God, you're not going to get along with the world terribly well. That's just the way it is. You're going to be different, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, back in the Old Testament, Lot had an opportunity to choose anywhere that he wanted to go to raise his family. Abraham said, listen, this, this, uh, this pasture ain't big enough for the both of us. So he said, uh, he said listen, I want you to go ahead and, and, uh, and pick a place. You pick wherever you want to go, and I'll go elsewhere. And so he did. And what he did was he pitched his tent, the Bible says, toward Sodom. Now, he didn't go into Sodom. It said he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He was, he was on the outskirts of Sodom. Now, you know, if you know anything about your, your Old Testament, uh, Sodom is the city, one of the cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, that was uh, uh, destroyed with fire and brimstone. Why? Because of the exceeding sin in there. God rescued Lot and some of his family, not all of his family, because they wouldn't all come, but he rescued Lot and some of his family from Sodom. Wait a minute. I thought he only pitched his tent toward Sodom. Well, he did. But then eventually, when God was getting ready to destroy it, you find that, that Lot is right in the thick of it, right in the middle of the whole deal. And his family is affected by it. Uh, his, his, his family was defiled. You, you, you look at, at Jacob, and uh, Jacob went and, uh, and, and settled in, uh, in Shalem, a city of Shechem, and he had, he had 12 sons and he had one daughter. And that one daughter, Dinah, uh, decided to go into that city because that's where they were and, and find some companionship. Well, she found more than companionship. She found a man who, who defiled her, who raped her. And, uh, and the rest of the story you can find in the Scriptures in the book of Genesis, but... But the, the, the truth is, if he hadn't settled near that city, that thing never would have happened. And, and oftentimes, we expose our children to stuff. I, I'm amazed 
at what, what uh, Christian people allow their kids to watch, what Christian people allow their kids to listen to. Listen, uh, you ought to be protective of your kids. You ought to be protective of yourself. Watch out for the world. Uh, you'll, if, you grant, if, you, if you buy into the world system, you'll, you'll buy into the, world's, into the world's methods and you'll become a worldly Christian. And, and God says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Another thing that will affect our vision is not only worldliness, but doubting God. Just lack of faith, unbelief. Uh, how does this happen? Can I tell you... One of, the, one of the greatest um, lures toward unbelief is when we just focus and meditate on circumstances. You know, something, whether it's, whether it's sickness, whether it's financial trouble, whether it's problems in the home, whatever it might be, and we spend time just looking at the problem and just looking at the circumstances. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, when he says be careful for nothing, what's he talking about? He's not talking about don't be cautious. He's saying don't worry. <laughs> don't, get, don't get so full of care that all you can see is the problem. He says, go to God and, and bring those things to Him. But, uh, but we won't do that if we doubt God. Uh, back, again, back in the Old Testament, Israel was told that it was going to go into Canaan, which was the promised land. And God had given it to him. He says, listen, it's yours. Just go take it. It's, it's, it's already yours. It's as good as yours. All you have to do is go take it. So what they decided to do was to send in a, a scout party just to kind of spy out the land before they went in. So 12 of them went in, one from each tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 went in, they spied out the land, they came back, and Joshua and Caleb said, hot dog, man, that's, that's a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, God has given it to us, let's go. And the, 10, the other 10 men said, whoa, hang on. Hang on, we see giants in the land. We, 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 we see a land that swallows us up. And all they saw was the problems. All they saw was what they thought were obstacles. You know what the problem was? Their God wasn't as big as the giants. You know what our problem is? Our God is not as big as whatever we're up against. The truth of the matter is, our God is bigger but because we focus on the problems rather than focusing on our God, we start to doubt. And we start to, to wonder, can God really take care of these things? You know, be careful about talking about how tough it is for you. And, and, and I'm not, you know, please, please don't misunderstand. Some of, you, some of you really got some problems. Some of you got some difficult situations. I know people, not just here, but I know people, they've got situations that are absolutely terrible and they have to face those things every single day. And I'm not, I, I, I'm not belittling them for the struggles that they have. Not at all. 
But what do you talk more about? Do you talk more about the problems you have or the God that you have? What are you spending more time giving lip service to? Can I tell you? You give lip service to the problems more than you give lip service to your God, and your faith is just going to go like this. And that's what those guys did. Those ten came back, and all they could talk about was the negatives. You know, hey, you know what? I know New York State is, is not always the most pleasant state in the world to live in governmentally. Can I tell you something? I love to stay in New York. I, I don't like the government, <laughs> but I love the state. I was raised here. I was born here. I, I spent almost 15 years in Wisconsin. I had to look far and wide for a waterfall. I mean, really. We found, I found... I, I can only remember finding one waterfall all the time that we were in Wisconsin. Man, I am less than an hour away from waterfalls up to your chin. <laughs> uh, you know, down in the Ithaca area, there's all kinds of water. I love this state. Now, does our state have problems? Yes. I'm a, I'm a little concerned about folks that you, know, you hear people talk, and I haven't heard a lot of it here but you hear people talk about, well, I'll tell you what, I can't wait to get out of this place. Well, you know what? Wherever you go, you're going to have problems. Really, wherever you go, you're going to have problems. And you know what I've noticed about those kind of folks? You hear them talk more about the problems than they talk about their God. You know, I don't care. Really, I don't care one way or the other what you think about our president. Can I tell you something? we got some folks probably, and I, I haven't been spying on you, so don't get nervous, okay? But we got folks in here that this last week you talked more about Donald Trump or the problem, Donald Trump negatively, or Donald Trump positively, or the problems that he, he has got, or the, the problems the nation has. You've talked more about that than you have about your God. You know what I know about you? Your face starting to slip. And your vision is going. Your vision is going. You know what? We need, we need to have the vision that God wants us to have. And you'll have that when you don't doubt God and you put your faith and trust in Him. And, you know, again, don't tell me how, how hard life is, but tell me how great your God is. And spend time on thinking about the greatness of your God. Then the the third thing, and this is a big one, this will suck the vision right out of you, and that is selfishness, covetousness. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this one. And I, you know, I've read this over and over again, but I, I saw it in a little bit different light uh, than, I've, than I've seen it before. Second, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Many of you know the, the, this passage. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. And these problems are terrible. Incontinent, fierce, uh, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures 
more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. You know what that's all produced from, all that junk? Look back up in verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then from that you get the covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, etc., etc., etc. There's a, again, the world is telling us, you know, you can't love anybody else until you first love yourself. You need to spend time loving yourself. You love yourself, and this is what you're going to get. This is the fruit of people who love themselves. And when we love ourselves, our vision for others and our vision for God just goes out. It's gone. It's kaput. Um, Take your Bibles and, and, and look with me. Same book, second, or, no, excuse me, First uh, Timothy chapter 6. Go to First Timothy chapter 6 and look in verses 6 through 10. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and into certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich uh, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some, some coveted after, they have erred, er, erred from, from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What should we be content with? Well, according to verse, verse 8, we ought to be content with food and raiment. We ought to be content with uh, what we have to eat and, and the clothes that we wear. Why? Verse 7 says we don't deserve anything. We came into the world with nothing. We're going to go out of the world with nothing. Um, who are the rich? Look down in verse 9. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare. You know who the rich of this world are? I mean, in this world, in almost 2020, you know who the rich are? You. You got it better than just about anybody else in the world. Even if you're on the bottom of the totem pole, your bottom of the totem pole is better than a lot of the ways that average people in this world live. And... Uh, uh, what are we to do about it? Well, look down in verse 17. Verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. That's us. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It says that, that uh, we ought to not be self-centered. We, we ought, to, ought to look and, and see what we can do to be a blessing with all that God has given to us. We ought to be ready to distribute. That just simply means ready to give. Uh, and you know what? If, if you're selfish, you don't have that vision. If you're selfish, you really won't see yourself as the answer to anybody else's needs. It's important for us to realize that selfishness will just absolutely squelch a vision. And then, then last of all, and this is a biggie, the last thing that will just absolutely rob us of our vision for God and for the things God wants us to do in 2020. 
It's murmuring, grumbling, and complaining, and divisions. Can I just can I just say something to you? There's more of it in our lives than what we realize. There's a lot more of it in our lives. There's there's a whole lot more uh, murmuring and complaining because here's what happens. You start doing it on a regular basis, and it just becomes a part of life. It just becomes a part of life. It becomes a part of who you are, and you don't even catch it half the time. But the truth of the matter is, we do a lot of murmuring. We do a lot of complaining. We do a lot of criticizing. We, you know, we, we think we are the, the judges of the world sometimes. And I'm talking about all of us. We have, we, it's real easy to fall into a, a critical, critical spirit. Are you quick to complain or are you quick to praise? Now, you know, I've, I've told you this about me, and I know this about me. Uh, you show me something, you show me someone, you show me a situation, the first thing I see is all the negative stuff. That's, that's how I see things, okay? I don't like that. So you know what I have to do? I have to hit the reset button. And uh, I was just talking to somebody here just recently. And uh, uh, I, I said, well, right off the bat, here's what I see. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> All the things that are wrong. And I said, give me some time, and I'll take a look at some of the, you know, I'll, I'll see some other things. And even as I got talking to that individual, I began to see some things. I went back to them several times. And he says, you know what, I see this, and I see that, and I see this, and I see that. And, and, and I didn't see it before. Why? Well, because we have a tendency just to be naturally negative. If you're not aware of that, you're not going to catch it. But you stay in, you start getting in that, and that thing's kind of like a rut. And, and we get cr critical of everybody and everything. Can I tell you what that does? That causes division, that causes strife. We, we gave out as a Christmas gift to everybody in the, in the church. If you didn't get one, come see me. I got some in the office. But we gave some, uh, some coasters. And they just have one word on it. It's the word love. I saw those coasters and I said, whoa, that's it right there. That's the gift. <laughs> that's the gift. Why? Because we need to be reminded to love. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do it naturally. We really don't. We naturally are critical. We naturally murmur. We naturally complain. We need to be reminded of love. First of all, love God. And second of all, love others. You know, Israel, again, you, you go back to the Old Testament. And what was it that, that stopped that generation from going into the promised land? Two guys had the vision. Joshua and Caleb had it. Okay, They had the vision. What was wrong with the other, other ten fellows? And what they had spread to the entire nation. I'm not just picking on those ten guys. They were able to, to infect all the rest of them with their negative critical spirit. And uh, why was that? Because they had a tendency and a natural, natural tendency to just murmur and complain about everything. Because they murmured and complained... They lost the promised land. Their kids got it, but they didn't. They lost the vision that God had for them. Man, you know what? 
I don't want you to lose the vision that God's got for you. I don't want you to lose the vision that God's got for your family. I don't want you to lose the vision that God's got for our church. I don't want you to lose the vision that God's got for your Sunday school class. I don't want you to lose the vision that God's got for you in the place where you work. I don't want you to lose the vision for what God's got for your master club class. I don't want you to lose the vision for, for the, the, the uh, uh, vision that you have for whatever ministry that God has got you in. Listen, uh, murmuring will absolutely kill that vision. And you don't want that vision killed. What proceeds out of your mouth more? Is it praise and thanks? Or is it complaints and criticism? You know, by faith, we just need to grab a hold of the vision that God's got for each and every one of us. Now, there's some general visions that we ought to all have. The Bible says the fields are white unto harvest. All, all, all had a, have a burden and a vision for winning people to Jesus Christ. Well, all have a burden and a vision for living a holy life and, and, and so forth. But there's specific things. Like I said, your family, your marriage relationship, your, your, uh, what, what you do at work and how you can make an influence and be an influence on, in the community. All those things, uh, it's necessary in order to have that vision. It's, it's necessary for you to avoid Avoid the, the worldliness, to avoid doubting God, to, to put away selfishness and put away the murmuring. Those things will choke a vision. And what does the Bible say? Without a vision, the people perish. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I am thankful for your word. Not only do you tell us what we ought to have, but you also tell us what we need to avoid. God, I, I desperately want to have the right vision that uh, you have for me, for my family, for this church. Lord, I want each person in here this morning to be able to grab a hold of what you have for them. There, there are some wonderful things waiting for us in 2020. Now there's going to be problems. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be things to, you know, hurdles that we're going to have to overcome and obstacles we're have to go, going to go around. But, Lord, you, you want to get the honor and glory throughout this next year. But if we don't have a vision, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it through our lives. There might be someone here even this morning but if they were to die today, they'd die in their sins because they've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. God, I pray that you get a hold of their heart today and let them, let them understand the seriousness of that situation, that they need to trust you and you alone as Savior. I pray that as we give the invitation, they come forward, take my hand, say, Preacher, I, I, I need, just need to get saved. I'd like to know that my sins are forgiven. Well, have someone take the Word of God and show them that, how they can have that forgiveness that comes freely through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd work on our hearts as, as believers this morning. 
Help us to be honest. Is there anything that's taking our vision so that we cannot effectively serve you in 2020? Please deal with our hearts. God, may we just say yes to you. Work on this invitation. Have your will, have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.